I've heard you speak about non-binary thinking and like the idea. Can you say some more about what it is and how to practically apply it? So thinking in many ways is a bit like software that runs on a computer. The mind is quite a computational system and like a computer it does sometimes things it's programmed to do and that mightn't be your first choice. You know, we've all had that experience where sometimes our computer is really helping us or our device is really supporting us. At other times, we're kind of wrestling with it a bit and it's not quite doing what we wanted to do. Now, the interesting thing is that either way, it's usually functioning in one sense. There's a, a principle in uh, computer science, which is garbage in, garbage out, which means if you program it badly, it'll function badly, but it's still functioning properly in that it's doing what it was programmed to do. So mind is quite a bit like computers in, in that way because mind gets programmed as you go through life with all kinds of stuff. And what mind is in many ways is kind of an open source system where loads of people stick different bits of lines of code and parents and friends and teachers and society and all sorts of people, advertisers, all just putting in bits of code. So it's as wonder we're as stable as we are in, in many ways because, uh, you know, there's a lot, lot in there. But gladly, our mind tends to do a pretty good job of synthesizing different ideas together and, uh, you know, creating something that, that emerges from that. But the point is, it mightn't always be functioning in quite the way we'd like it to function. So it's good to, to, to note that and you know, the main thing is to recognize that you're not limited or defined by your thoughts. That's a starting point, but it's only a starting point. You know, it's your basic template. You can go from there. You can upgrade, modify, change in, in whatever way you wish. So binary and non-binary thinking. Sometimes what happens is as the mind tries to label things and to understand things, to make sense of the world, it uses overly rigid categories for things. So it tries to put things in boxes, in other words, you know, yes or no, this real kind of binary division. And the term binary in, in terms of computer science is literally ones and zeros. You know, so you get a one or a zero. And the reason it functions that way, at least traditional computing, is because little switches in the, the computer are turned on and off. And these little circuits are either active or not, and that equates to uh, being activated or not activated. It's a little bit like how neurons work in the brain. Now, it's much more sophisticated neurologically what happens uh, because there's there's not just the, uh, the activation of neurons, but there's uh, other neurotransmitters being released and a variety of other things happening. But neurons have what's called an action potential, which means if they're stimulated enough, they fire, and if they're not, they don't. So that's a little bit like uh, the ones and zeros in a computer. But again, vastly, vastly more complicated when we're talking about human biology and how it functions. So categorically then, when we're trying to categorize things and put them in boxes, sometimes the mind can be a bit binary. Why? Well, often because I think that's just a simple way of thinking. You know, it's kind of easy to ask yes or no questions. They're, they're kind of a simple form of information gathering like tick boxes in a form which is easy to understand and therefore easy to work with and when we're trying to make quick judgments kind of rule of thumb judgments it can be kind of handy to put things in boxes like that 
but of course the the problem with that approach is you'll often lose a lot of resolution you lose a good bit of detail because you'll have to kind of squash things to be able to put them in those boxes you will have to have questions like are you for something or against something now why does it need to be either of those two options you can you know, maybe be somewhere in the middle or you can have a different view on it or you can be for it in certain circumstances but not others. And you've probably had this experience where you try and fill in a, a badly written form and they kind of force answers on you and you go, but my answer doesn't fit there or there. That That's not how I think. So, you know, it, it feels uncomfortable then and what do you do? Do you just not fill it in or do you kind of fill it in but go with the least worst option and try and squash your opinion into a box it doesn't really belong in. So that's that's the kind of thing that sometimes our mind will do. Now if you're aware of that, that's great because the problem is sometimes we're not aware of it. And you know, we'll say things like, Am I happy or am I sad? As if they were the only two options. When instead it can be a bit more varied. One way I like to think about this is if you remember with email accounts online some of the old email systems uh, just had folders you could put an email in. And if you had an email and you put it in a particular folder, it could only be in one folder or another folder. So if you wanted it here, you had to take it out of there and vice versa. You'd have to remove it. But then they developed things like labels. And labels were a bit like folders because you, know, you could still put it in essentially what looked like a folder and it could be like work or personal, etc. But the difference with labels is you could have multiple labels on an email. So an email might be something that is to do with work, but it also might be something that's to do with a to-do list that you have and you're going to label it with that. There might be a date that you label it with as well and so on. And that's the way things work in the real world. You can't necessarily just put them into one box and they don't relate to anything else. They can't just be put in a silo like that. Often there's multiple tentacles that reach into the world and uh, it's important to be able to appreciate and take into uh, into account that that happens and if we don't do that our thinking gets a bit clunky and we can lose out on things and a day-to-day -day function of how the mind works here is that sometimes our our system can snap to and what i mean here is if you use computer systems particularly graphic design programs Sometimes they have a kind of a grid. So if you're moving something, it'll bring you to a particular point on the screen. And that just keeps things kind of neatly lined up. And it looks nice to keep things neatly lined up. But sometimes the real world's messy. So if you have a grid that you're snapping to, you're maybe losing out some of the nuance of what's actually happening. A bit like when you see one of those... Uh, tourist maps which is a very very simplified version of the downtown area of a city typically something like that and what they do is they kind of remove streets and they make some things bigger and others smaller and they just make it roughly work and it's rather useful as a kind of a simplistic uh, representation of the city because you have a rough sense of what's where and it leaves out a lot of information that you might need but if you do need that information, you're in trouble because it's not there or it's not accurately represented and, and that can be an issue. So one of the problems as well with snapping too is if we're thinking about particularly binary thinking, things like good or bad, what happens if you in a given moment are feeling 60% happy but 40% sad? 
or anxious or something like that. Well, you might be tempted to say that, well, you know, I'll probably notice that I'm 60% happy and maybe that's what I'll think about because that's the majority. But not necessarily because there are a number of things, anything that involves danger or self-protection, we have our perceptual system has a tendency to amplify those certain things and to expand them so that they really fill a lot more of our awareness than they otherwise might. And this is a kind of a safety and protective mechanism that we have from thousands of years of human development that it's this idea of false positives, that it's better to fear something that turns out not to be dangerous actually at all than to not fear something that actually does turn out to be dangerous. And just from an evolutionary point of view, you can imagine how that might work. You know, if you if you just say, ah, it's probably grand and it's not. Well, you're not going to survive. You won't have children. You won't teach them about this and, and there'll be no more of it. The people are a little bit more cautious who tend to say, well, I'm not sure about that. That could be dangerous. What's going to go wrong? That's actually adaptive, even though it might be unpleasant. You might feel a bit unhappy living your life that way. From a risk management perspective, it can keep you alive, at least in many circumstances. So that gets selected for in some ways and it continues to develop. So the problem is that if we have a kind of a binary perspective, it may be the case that even if something is only 10% a problem and 90% okay, just from a safety perspective, we might default to saying, oh, that's a problem. Or we put it in that box and then we avoid it or whatever. You know, we start to act differently around it or we approach it with reservations, which can create a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, like social interaction. If you think it's going to be a problem, well, then you know, sometimes it is a problem because you think it's going to be a problem and the other person picks up on that and, you know, it actually becomes an issue when it didn't really need to. So these are the kind of problems that can happen uh, with binary thinking. So it's not that there's anything wrong with the ingredients of binary thinking. That simplified map that we talked about, we, we don't mind what's shown on the map. It's just that we might mind what's not shown. We might need that sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with simplifying things as long as we're leaving out the bits we don't need and keeping the bits we do need and remembering that we are simplifying. You know, not making the mistake of leaving out streets on the map and then actually forgetting those streets exist if we maybe need them later in the future. It's it's like this with a spreadsheet sometimes. If you're organizing your, your data, you might hide certain fields or show other fields or sort it by certain uh, values that are important. But you don't want to delete everything else. You, you need that there and you'll then maybe sort by something else at a later point. It's just zooming in on what's a priority for you in, in that given moment, and that's perfectly valuable. So appreciating that we have varied priorities can be useful. And kind of thinking of things on a spectrum, different degrees, this kind of continuous sense of, 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 of different values being met can, can be much more helpful. So you know, a good example of this will be health. If somebody says, oh, the start of the year, I'm not feeling particularly healthy. I've overdone it a bit. Okay. And that may be true. There's maybe some room for improvement there. But how much health do you already have? You know, what's the list of diseases you don't have right now? The, the sheer amount of wellness that you have. And this isn't designed to discount in any way the challenges that are really there. We can recognize those. But why not recognize those and what's going well and, and to see them in proportion? 
And, you know, depending on your circumstance, in many cases, it's in the high 90 something percent of what's going well, maybe higher than that, you know, when you really think about everything that could go wrong. And then the things that are uh, challenges or problems, okay, they're there, but in proportion. And that what that lets you do then is you actually feel kind of good about how well things are in other areas, which then gives you a bit of energy to tackle the things that need to be improved if, if there's something you can do about them and put some energy into that then, which is useful. In a day-to-day sense, sometimes non-binary thinking is really nice in terms of achieving things in terms of achieving goals. You might, for example, if, you, if you're trying to work a bit better with your anxiety, if you kind of say to yourself, well, I'm either going to be anxious or I'm going to not be anxious, I'm going to be relaxed. That's a very harsh divide. And the risk is that it's very hard to find those moments where you say, I am completely at ease particularly if you're looking for them, because that itself creates tension. So instead, it might be nice to say, well, what what would it be like to have a better relationship with anxiety so that today I feel maybe 3% better in the way I work with the feelings? 3% better in the way I work with the feelings. So if I imagine what it was like yesterday, maybe that wasn't a good day. What would it be like to just just maybe still have whatever feelings are there, but to feel 3% better about them. And that's interesting because suddenly that seems a bit more doable. We kind of go, well, maybe the fact that I'm tensing my body right now, you know, maybe I could get that 3% just by kind of loosening up a little bit. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. Maybe there's something else I can do, get support, etc. You know, there's a number of things. And then it becomes a bit more manageable again. And you may well get more than the 3% just because you're you're approaching it with a sense of kind of a greater ease, a greater sense of possibility. And that's only because of non-binary thinking. Otherwise, you'd have gotten trapped in this, this rather intimidating prospect of, you know, trying to get rid of all the anxiety or, or else nothing because you're either anxious or you're not. And, 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 and that's just a bit too rigid. It's a little bit too difficult. And we would do something similar as well if it came to fundraising. You know, fundraising, we presumably, if you were raising money for a charity or something, you'd know that it's not just having the total or nothing. You know, because you'll get to the total via smaller increments, which will increase. And very often, particularly if it's one of these fundraisers on TV or radio, when other people see giving happening, they get inspired to give as well. So you get this kind of critical mass effect, this cumulative effect. Uh, it gets more powerful as it starts to increase. So emotionally, psychologically, something similar happens. When you're kind of engaged and you're carrying on and you're, you're continuing, you're moving in that direction, you're making some progress, you know, your mind starts to get behind you a bit. You get a bit of a snowball effect going and that can be really useful. Also very useful non-binary thinking when it comes to engaging with other people and society and you know, our, our, our real terrible tendency as human beings sometimes to put people in a box and to say that, you know, this person is the other. You know, this person politically believes something totally different than me, so therefore they're terrible. This person has a different taste in music than me, so therefore they must be wrong. This person has a different background than me, a different culture, and so forth. And while, of course, there are going to be differences and we want to respect and value those, 
And sometimes we are going to need to use judgment, you know, if people are doing things, if they're inclined to do things that aren't good for you or the world or others, we're, we're going to need to be able to call those judgments. But there's still an, a huge amount of power in the potential to be able to kind of hate the sin and not the sinner in a way, to use that kind of language and to be able to say, well, this person, I totally don't agree with them here, but maybe I do agree with them here somewhere in the middle on this and to kind of see the nuance in it a little bit more. And it doesn't involve in any way softening your perspective on anything that is fundamentally wrong that you feel the, the need to stand up for. You still get to feel that way, maybe even more so about those particular issues, but you just don't make the mistake of overgeneralizing it too much. So, you know, because otherwise, where do we where do we end it? We don't like a person's perspective, so we extend that to the person's entire identity, past and present, but more importantly, future. So there's no room for redemption. Should we then assume their family is like that too? Assume the community is like that, their whole country, you know, and it gets very complicated at that point. So it can be more useful in terms of embracing non-binary thinking to just sort of let facts speak for themselves on a case-by-case -case basis to like a thing or not like a thing. So again, we have to be practical. You're, you're still, if there's a tendency of a lot of stuff surfacing within a particular person, you might need to, for your own safety and wellness, avoid that person. And that's completely okay. But even then, still recognizing that nuance is helpful rather than allowing it to snap to the grid too much and losing that kind of finer grained resolution of thinking. Now that's just beneficial for everyone. It's beneficial for the other person because they're going to feel a sense of appreciation and value that you can kind of see that nuance if they have bad ideas that that empathy that you're able to offer hopefully gives them room to be able to outgrow those bad ideas in a way that's that's good for everyone and also just from the point of view of your own safety and preservation because you're not generalizing excessively and and, and putting ideas or people into boxes too much that allows you to actually be safer because you you start to see the distinctions it's a little bit like uh, knowing your wildlife well or knowing your jungle well and kind of knowing what leaf is poisonous and what isn't. You're not just saying it's all bad because if you do that, you're going to miss out on nourishment and nutrition and beauty that exists within it. But if you kind of can explore it in a little bit more depth, then you'll know what to avoid, what's medicinal and what's toxic and everything in between. So there's some value in that as well. So huge topic area, but really, really important. And there is a lot to it. So do feel free to recognize that you don't have to be defined by your structures of thinking. You don't have to be overly categorical. You don't have to put things in these very binary boxes. It's fine to have these spectrums, these continua where you can say, well, no, it's one degree, one way or the other, to be able to incrementally move in a particular direction towards goals or to be able to manage levels of feelings and have a real flexibility in your thinking. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So do give it a go. If you found this valuable, do like, subscribe, and share. And what's your experience? Do you have any questions or topic suggestions? You can contribute in the comments, on social media using hashtag BodyMindSelf, or on JFL.com. <laughs>